Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. So great to be with you today as we continue in our Kingdom Virtues series with a subject that I think is of increasing importance for us, the virtue of courage. You know, it's been said that courage is grace under pressure. And I don't have to tell you that we're all under a significant amount of pressure these days. The question is this, what comes out of our lives amidst that squeeze? I'm reminded uh, when I was in Alaska and uh, we spent some time in boats in Alaska and me with my buddy Dana, we did uh, fishing out of boats, we did crabbing out of boats and it's always too small a boat and too big a seas. That's just normally the way we roll when it comes to boats. We had a slightly bigger boat this time around which was really cool, but it's still big seas at times. That happens in Alaska and I can remember as we were going crabbing one day and Dana is back at the motor because it doesn't have a tiller, it's just he's just back at the, it's a small enough boat, you're just back at the motor. And so that means I have to sit up front to balance it out. And so when you're back at the back of the boat and you're going over waves, the boat goes like this. Bam, bam, bam. So back where he is, it's really comfortable ride. It's really nice. But where I am, it's like sitting on top of a jackhammer. And so after that trip, I thought I was shorter. You know, I thought my spine had been compressed after so many times of wave upon wave just being smacked down in the front of that boat. And so that alone was a bit uncomfortable. But then you get to the crab pot. And you pull up the crabs, which is so great. And you see the crab pot and it's filled with crabs. And that's, that's always a great sign. And, but you have to take them out of the crab pot. And so there's a way you grab a crab and you can you know, look for what gender they are. And you grab the crab and those are the ones you can, you can keep. And so I remember grabbing the crabs. And I've done this for years. And they have their little spiky legs and then they have their claws. But if you grab them right, the theory is they can't pinch you. Even though I know that theory in my mind, though, I'll watch these crabs and and their little legs are kind of poking you and, and I'll see their claws kind of move towards my hand. And even though I know they can't pinch me, something in me snaps. And usually I just throw the crab. Now, I used to throw them out of the boat when that would happen. But now I just throw them at Dana. I scream, ah, and I throw them at Dana. That's what comes out of me in the crabby pressure moment. Maybe you've experienced some pressures too. I wish it wasn't like that in those moments. I wish it was different, but that's what comes out of me when those moments appear. Think about your life. What what comes out of your life when the, the many plates that you're spinning start to wobble? Maybe the result is anything but grace under pressure. Maybe at work, you you find yourself not giving constructive input instead of it's more of frustrated outbursts. Maybe at home, instead of listening to understand another, it's lashing out to defend yourself. Maybe you end up just trying to escape all the pressures in in unhealthy ways through addiction, through self-harm. All the result of the pressures of life seemingly becoming too much to bear. That somehow the pressures outside have overcome the grace within. 
That, friends, is why we need courage. This virtue that God makes possible through the fullness of God's Spirit within us, the virtue of courage can come out of our lives to overcome those outside pressures. In that way, courage is absolutely essential. Maya Angelou said, Courage is the most important of the virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. And it seems like she's on to something. Without courage, we won't build the guardrails of prudence into our life. Without courage, we, we won't connect with God to bring about justice to our world. The other virtues we will discuss in the coming weeks are all reliant on this virtue to be expressed. And so it is with that I would love to impart some vision today. A vision that will require courage to see it through. To help us see that, I would offer these markers, these guideposts, to let, let us get a picture of the place that God is taking us. And the first thing I would point out is this. Courage calls us to a faith marked by revelation. Let's look in Matthew 16, verse 13. Let's read it together. Big voices, go. Then Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So Jesus throws out this question to Simon, who do you say I am? And Simon replies, well, here, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, you got it right. Blessed are you because you didn't get that on your own, which I think is so great because knowing Simon, when he got the answer right, he's the kind of guy that would have been like, see that guys, nailed it. That's right. I don't know, I'm, I'm in the running for Disciple of the Month right here. Uh, leader material, look at me, nailed it. So we know he's kind of that guy. And Jesus obliterates that by saying, you did not get that understanding on your own. It was given to you. It was revealed to you by God. So Jesus then changes Simon's name to Peter, meaning rock. Not like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, just rock. And Jesus then makes this great play on words, saying, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. So the question is, does that mean God's church from this moment forward is to be built on Peter? And the obvious answer is, of course not. The church is to be built on Christ. No one would make the case that 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 we're supposed to now go to the church that is built on Peter, the disciple. I mean, if we did that, the church would specialize in saying the wrong things and abandoning Jesus when the going gets tough. Oh, wait. 
Well, perhaps the church has looked a bit like that at times. But obviously, Jesus is pointing to his ideal, to something greater. So what was Jesus trying to point us to? What is it that Peter is experiencing here that Jesus is building his church on? I would argue it seems like Jesus is pointing back to this revelation that Simon had. You're the Messiah. A revelation that Simon did not come to on his own. Instead, it's a revelation given to him by God. And as such, it is that kind of personal and unique revelation from God that become the building blocks, the living stones upon which God wants to build his church. It's regular people experiencing God. See, God's church for humanity is built upon the rock of God's revelation to humanity. Meaning there is something we need more than anything else, more than the next podcast, more than the next book club, more than the next Bible study, or the next sermon, or the next article, or the next worship song. What we need first and foremost is to experience God. Where God gives us something we didn't have before. Where God imparts something to us, reveals something to us. Where God changes the way we see the world. Where God heals something, or adds something, or transforms something in my heart. Not because we're so smart, but because we are so loved. And God is always making this possible. So here's what we see in this passage. God gives Simon a new understanding, right? You are the Messiah, son of the living God. Simon then agrees with that revelation and proclaims it to Jesus and the others. And then what happens? Jesus turns around and reveals to him, yes, and you are Peter. You have a new name. You have a new identity. Do you see the back and forth of this? God revealing, Simon responding. God reaching, Simon replying. And this is the relationship with God that Peter would have for the rest of his life. Back and forth. God revealing, him responding. And guess what? That is a picture of the kind of relationship with God that God wants for each of us. A life process. God reaching out. We're reaching back. This last week, uh, I got to be part of our staff retreat here for Cove Church, which was so wonderful. And Pastor Janelle and Adele, our administrator, did such an amazing job of putting it together. We got to spend a couple of days of just quality time uh, in one another's uh, life and uh, just love our team so much. They had uh, set up a whole bunch of different games we, we would play throughout the time, a contest of sorts, and included in those games was, was around the world ping pong. You're used to ping pong when it's just two people back and forth with a ping pong ball. Around the world ping pong is different. You, you set a bunch of people around a ping pong table and they play in a circle, meaning one person hits the ping pong ball, puts the paddle down, and then they have to go and go around the circle to the next place while the person behind them comes and tries to return the ping pong ball once it's come back over the net. And so you're constantly moving and moving around the table. 
The problem is when someone misses a shot, that person then has to leave the game. So you have fewer and fewer people roaming around this table rotating. And so once you hit it, you have to try then to get to the other side to be ready to hit it again. And what eventually always happens is someone will end up hitting the ball across the table and there will be no one on the other side to get it. And at that point, the game is over. Herein lies the problem of humanity with God. We know that God is constantly reaching out to bring his life to every person. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We know God is hitting the ping pong ball towards us, but we also know that we are not always there to hit the ping pong ball back. God is revealing himself to us, but we aren't always revealing ourselves back to him. God is sharing his life with us, but we aren't always sharing our life with him. And because of that, the game stops. This amazing back and forth relationship with God that God wants for us, that all ceases. And our life can basically become God hitting ping pong ball after ping pong ball in our direction, but it really just ends up being to the empty side of the table because I'm not there to hit it back. But see, Peter here shows us how it's meant to be played. God reveals, we respond. We seek, God is found. God invites, we trust. Back and forth, this is relationship with God where God reveals himself to us and we in turn reveal ourselves back to God. Yet too often, I think we find ourselves like Adam in the book of Genesis, in the garden, and he's hiding from God. He's distant from God. He's afraid of God. And God is asking the question, where are you? And so the courage then that is required to raise our hand and say, I'm over here, God. I've messed up, God. I'm actually hiding. I didn't want to talk to you. I've been far away from you. I've made myself distant on purpose. I haven't wanted to see you. I haven't wanted you to see me. But now, in courage, I'll come back to your table. I know, God, you are revealing yourself to me. I see it every day. But I'm going to choose now to reveal myself to you. That takes courage. And it's that kind of relationship that is to mark the life of every Christ follower. And that is what we hope to see in every person we encounter in our midst. Courage calls us to a faith marked by revelation. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Courage calls us to a church marked by love. John 13, 35. In fact, let's read this together. Big voices go. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this passage is speaking to disciples, right? Those who would say they are in relationship with Jesus and that the mark of a group of people who have relationship with Jesus could be summarized here in one word, 
love. That when someone, let's think about this, who might consider themselves an outsider to church, wouldn't consider themselves an insider, when that someone looks into the church or they just kind of tap on the glass and go, what's going on in there? What will they see inside? And this passage gives us the clear answer, the clear ideal. They should see love for one another. That's what proves, authenticates our love for Jesus. Now, there's a problem. We can share that scripture and it sounds super great, but the sticking point always is, okay, what does love look like? Define it for me. Well, I'm glad you asked that. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 13 does a pretty great job of defining it for us. It's not just for weddings. It's actually really the list of subjects, if you are to give a report card on the way the church loves each other, these are the subjects that we could grade ourselves in. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, here's what that would look like if it was in a report card format, okay? So you have to ask yourself, how, how would I grade myself on this in context of my church? How would I grade my church on this? See, here is where we need courage. Could we actually look at this list, at this report card, could we look at it honestly? Could we look at ourselves honestly? Could we give ourselves a grade in those places? And could we even open ourselves up for some constructive criticism in the comments. Now, hopefully it won't be the kind of comments we read from these actual responses uh, from teachers to students. This was in a New York City uh, or a New York school system. All these teachers that had these responses were reprimanded, by the way, but I found these responses to students amazing on their report cards. The first one is this. Teacher wrote to a student, since my last report, Your child has reached rock bottom and has started to dig. (laughs) Here's another one from a teacher to a student. Your child has delusions of adequacy. (laughs) There's another one, teacher to student. Your child has been working with glue too much. There's another one. Your son sets low personal standards and consistently fails to meet them. And here's the last one. Your student has a full six-pack, but lacks the plastic thing to hold it all together. (laughs) Now, those are some harsh reviews. But the question for us is, what would be on the report card of God's church? And does our report card deserve to be any better? Now, I hope so, but I also think we would all agree that we aren't necessarily running a 4.0 grade average when it comes to loving one another. 
we have to have the courage to address that. Because until we recognize where we're sick, we will never reach out for a doctor, will we? So this becomes primary in our church culture, that a violation of love is a violation of who we are called to be. And anywhere that we look at that report card and we realize that we are experiencing something different than that in our family of faith, it's there that we've got to allow God to give us the courage to throw a flag at that moment. That's not allowed. That, that's not part of how we're going to do this. That, that was arrogance. That's 10 yards. That was envy. Five-yard penalty. Hanger, 15 yards. Reset the clock. These are the things that we are to hold one another accountable to. This is when the body of Christ becomes such an amazing thing because you can't get that kind of accountability from a podcast. You have to be in relationship with one another. This is why God calls us not just to love him, but to love each other. Because loving each other is the hardest part. And that in that we would honestly look at our flaws and how we're not doing it well. And in the places and we look at that and we say, that does not look like God's love. We have the courage to identify them, to repent, and to trust Jesus to make us whole. Knowing that in the many ways that we will all fail and fall from that ideal, that we will also trust one another to apply copious amounts of grace when we step on one another. And all of that, that will require God's courage in our lives. Because courage calls us to a church marked by love. That's the second thing, here's the last thing. Courage calls us to an impact marked by kindness. Romans 2, verse 4, let's read this together. Big voices go. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Okay, real simple understanding here. If it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance, then it seems to me that kindness is a great starting point for reaching our town, or for reaching our community, or for reaching our world. So it has been in our heart, Paula and myself, that we would trust Jesus to show us in meaningful ways how we as a church body can express God's kindness to our community. So we've been asking the question, who, who are the people groups right now that may be in great need of kindness? And I know there's lots of different groups, but we, want, we wanted to invest in some people in our community through what's known as our harvest offering. Now allow me to explain. Every year in November, we invite our church body to pray about how they would want to give towards a special offering, an additional offering, a special campaign at our church. And that's called the harvest offering. And every year that harvest offering comes in and it goes out to expressions of God's kindness, both globally and locally. For this year, half of that offering will go to global uh, expressions of kindness, and then half will go to local expressions of kindness. 
Our global team will guide us in how to show kindness to the groups that we work with around the world that are bringing the gospel around the world. But locally, what we've done is we've identified three groups of people that we feel right now are in desperate need of kindness because of the season of life we find ourselves in. And those three groups of people right now that we've pointed out are these, healthcare workers, teachers, and police officers. Healthcare workers, teachers, and police officers. Now, we've already been reaching out to hopefully be a blessing to healthcare workers. We've done food for them and coffees and thank you notes and, and that sort of thing. And we will continue to do so as part of this offering. But additionally, we realize how challenging this season has been for teachers. Can you imagine through COVID, you're switching suddenly to online school or hybrid. There's constantly changing mandates and masks and all the pressures around that. Our teachers in our community are discouraged. The staff in schools are discouraged. So we want to begin a process to actively show kindness to the schools and teachers and school staff that are part of our community. Now we'll do so probably in, in similar ways that we have done for healthcare workers in our community, doing snacks and notes and thoughtful gifts. So we're gonna do that. And then finally, uh, the group of people that we want to express kindness to is the police officers in our community. Uh, here in Eugene, as in many places, but certainly here, it is difficult to be a police officer. That is a difficult job. They're often understaffed, often on calls. There are moments in our community here in Eugene where um, you know, it might take a while to get a, get a police officer to be able to show up to a call because they're on so many calls all the time. Uh, add to that the many dynamics going on in our culture, and it, again, can be a very discouraging place to be. And so we have come up with some ways to strategically show kindness to the police officers in our community. And so we're gonna be inviting you into that process. Uh, we'll be doing so through different vehicles at our church, but we will be able to effectively and helpfully restore and rejuvenate and to encourage some of the police officers in our town. We're looking forward to that. But I'm so excited about this because I'm excited to see what God does when we trust, trust him that we can pour out his kindness and we can watch what he does in life because of that. Because this is how we're supposed to make an impact, right? This passage doesn't say that it's our great doctrine that leads people to repentance or that it's our great programs that lead people to repentance or it's our great polity that leads people to repentance. It says it's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. So as a church, we are trusting God to give us the courage to reach our community with kindness, to reach as many different types of people as possible because God's kindness is a universal language. Now here's the trust part. We bring the kindness, God handles the repentance. Too often I think we reverse that. Oh yeah, I'll show you how to repent. Here's all the stuff and sin in your life you need to switch up and, and make sure isn't there. And if you do that, then you can experience the kindness of God. That's not how God says it works. Instead of trusting simply that if we would bring about God's kindness, God's Holy Spirit 
can bring about repentance, conviction. In fact, the Holy Spirit is really, really good at that. So we must get good at simply being kind. Because in so many ways that we have yet to discover, God is going to show us how to reach our city, how to reach our county, how to reach our world through his kindness. That becomes our impact. And I pray that we would have the courage to respond fully to Jesus and what he's asking us to do. Now I'll wrap up with this. Uh, you may have read in the news that William Shatner, also known as Captain Kirk of Star Trek fame, William Shatner just got back from space. <laughs> He's 90 years old and he got to go to space. Uh, amazing thing. It warms our heart, that story. We just read that and go, that's so cool. It creates really great memes, which is a lot of fun. But I think we also forget the courage that it takes to go on that journey. I mean, think of that, of that, to essentially buckle yourself onto a giant bomb and see if you can control that explosion well enough that it propels you to where a tiny percentage of humanity has ever gone. Now, I know we may find reasons to fault it or say different things about it, but one thing is clear. It takes courage to go somewhere new. God is inviting each of us to go somewhere new. But each of us will need this virtue of courage to get there. Courage to trust God, to reveal himself to us in, in life-changing and miraculous ways, and the courage for us to reveal ourselves to God in return. Courage to take an honest look at our church family and say, well, here's a place that we're not really reflecting God's love. Let's look at that. Courage to invest in and reach out to a community in need with simple acts of kindness, knowing that God will use that to bring many to himself. Friends, the future we face is not for the faint of heart. Rather, it is for those who would courageously seek the heart of God. Because it is with that understanding that we will each realize once again that this battle that we're in, it belongs to the Lord. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.